this week's edition of Sunday Morning Live from Fresh Fire Church. Today's message from Pastor Adam will encourage and strengthen your walk with Christ. If you would like to be a partner with Fresh Fire Church for $15 a month or more, become our patron on Podbean or visit freshfirechurch.net. And now, let's join the service. He is worthy. Glory to God. Aren't you glad for his faithfulness? Yes. Amen. Lois said amen. Lois is still awake. Hallelujah. And thank God for everybody who operates the camera back there too. We don't we don't say much about them, but uh, or even acknowledge it, but we're grateful. Amen. It's usually Lois and I think April. I don't know if anybody else does it. I if I they do, I'm sorry, but uh, we're grateful. They get to, they get to allow everybody at home to watch and keep up with us, and everybody that works upstairs. There's a lot of things that happen we don't even realize, and then after all of that, it goes into TV production, and Pastor Donnie does all of that. So we just thank everybody. Uh, aren't you glad and thankful for people who serve and make it possible for us to do all that we do? I am. I am. It takes more than just me. Amen. That's right, they deserve a hand clap of praise. It takes servants in the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. We had visitors come several times from, we were just talking about this this week in the office. We had visitors that drive down from Pittsburgh and people who've come to the area that drive through the area. And uh, the last time we had visitors come down from Pittsburgh, they kept driving by and missing it. They said Google kept telling them, you've arrived at your destination. They kept looking. They couldn't see nothing. They couldn't see nothing. And they said, we were looking for this mega cathedral. Because we watch you on TV. And they said, your background looks so massive. And we didn't realize. And it does from one TV. I guess the back wall looks. And even Cynthia was talking about that before she arrived. And uh, But anyways, several people have come by and kept driving by because they were looking for this mega church. <laughs> and there was no mega church. And so they were shocked when they arrived and realized it was not a mega church. But we're grateful nonetheless that we get to have people who serve behind the scenes and makes it all possible just for so many people to watch online and on TV and around the world and all of that. We're, I'm thankful. Hallelujah. And so thank you to everybody who does something to make it all happen. We appreciate you. Are you ready? All right. We're going to go to Mark chapter 1, 9 through 13 for this message today. I believe it will bless you and help you and encourage you today. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Just a couple of verses, and it says, beginning in verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in the Jordan. And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. Look at that. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. In verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Oh, pay attention to that. 
Those last two verses, look at them closely. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with wild beasts. And the angels ministered unto him. Oh, the angels ministered unto him. There's several things in this text that's pretty uh, peculiar and curious that I want to take the time to point out to you today. But notice a couple things before we get too far into it. Notice that we have a wilderness. Notice that we have beasts. We have a weary Savior. And there's angels. Uh Uh-huh. There's angels. How many of you know that sometimes we often get frustrated and we get irritated? Anybody else ever get frustrated or irritated? I do sometimes. We get frustrated and irritated because oftentimes there's so much going wrong. But when in the midst of everything going wrong, that's often very much where the glory of the Lord is revealed. When everything is going wrong, when there's frustration and when there's irritation. See, nobody said amen because we don't like those moments of frustration and irritation, do we? I know I don't. I I shared last week uh, about the last distribution and how chaotic and crazy it was, and we all got drenched. We just, Vicki and I eventually gave up and didn't even wear a rain. What was the point? We were in the thunder and lightning and pouring down rain, and we just left soaking wet. Uh, What was the point at that point, right? And it was just an all-around bad day, and when it was all said and done, we can easily say, we throw our hands in the air, say, that's it, enough of that. We're not going to do that anymore. Anybody else ever been there? And yet it is often in those moments where we get frustrated and irritated. I know none of y'all in here ever get irritated or frustrated because you're all more godly than I am. But sometimes I get frustrated and irritated. Walmart, I've told you, will cause me to almost come on the verge of losing all Christianity. I mean, it'll make you step out into your flesh and get angry and yell at people. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. Sometimes just in the parking lot is enough to make me want to scream and rip someone's head off and run them over with my car. I, I know, I know, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> Cynthia looks at me like, what is going on? I know none of you have ever had that thought. If I only could do it and get away with it, right? Oh, Lord, I know you'll forgive me, but will, will the popo forgive me, right? We get frustrated and irritated, all right, and it, it'll cause you and I to step out of sometimes the very place where God needs us to be, but it is in those moments where we often see and experience the real glory of the Lord. I want you to, to recognize that. I want you to recognize that this morning. The, the whole point of this text, I'll give you a little intro of where we're going to go. That, that you've heard me say that we are not in this by ourselves. Nothing we are going through right now, how many know often we feel lonely or alone, but we're not in what we're going through by ourselves. We're not in life by ourselves. Aren't you glad? We're not in this by ourselves, but really the focus of this message today is that we have angels in our midst. I said we have angels in our midst. Uh, The text lets us know that there are angels in our wilderness. That there are angels that come at specific moments of life just to minister to you. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? See, you're not in it by yourself. You're, you're not alone. You are not alone. But he sends help when you and I need help. And so we're not in our, in our by ourselves. We have angels in the midst of our wilderness. Thank you, Lord. I'm not in it by myself. We have angels in our wilderness. See, e- even if nobody else will help you or I, we're not in it by ourselves. Haven't you ever had that happen where nobody else around you ever wanted to help you? But see, you're, not, you're still not alone. Amen. Mom waited how many weeks for your car? 
uh, four months for her car to be fixed sitting at the garage, but she wasn't in it by herself. She may have felt like it, but she wasn't in it by herself. Sometimes we'll get sick and weary, but we're not in it by ourselves. When we're having issues in, in, in life or in marriage or with family, come on, we're not in it by ourselves. How many of you know that sometimes it feels like they all turned against you, but you are still not in it by yourself? I want to let you know Jesus was not in this by himself. The, the very text ends that he sent angels to minister unto him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that if, if nobody else protects you, if nobody else helps you, he will send angels in your wilderness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I want you and I to take a, a, a little bit of time, and we're going to look at the text carefully today, because if we don't preach it accurately, we'll take it out of context, and we'll miss the, some of the most important things about the text. And so I think it's important that we take a couple of moments and put everything in context, and before we get to the place where we need to land today, I think that's important, uh, because I, how many of you know that if you take things out of context, you don't always get the full story? Uh, the same way is if, if people try to judge you based on all, only what you post on social media, they're missing out on the rest of you, right? If people try to judge you based on one part of, you know, the people you work with think they know you because they get to see you just one part of your life. Uh, sometimes the same thing with social media. We think we know people online based on TikTok videos or YouTube Right? We think we know preachers on TV because uh, we get to see this much of their life, but there's a whole lot more to them than just that little portion. How many of you know there's more to me than what you see right here? Uh, there's a lot of different layers to each of us. Amen. April, you and I are like onions. You got to peel us back one layer at a time. Hallelujah. Right? And so there's more to me than what you see. Often we, we try to have a belief that we, we know people based on what little interaction that we have. And we, if we're not careful, we, we often do the same thing with Scripture. We take a little bit like this, and preachers will preach one Scripture, take it out of context, use it for their benefit to manipulate people, and it's not anywhere near the context, and we miss the fullness of the message. Yes, amen. And so I want to take a moment to put this these couple scriptures that we are reading in context for you today. Hallelujah. Same way as if you and I sent ever, anyone ever sent a text message and you got yourself in trouble from the text message you sent. Cause you didn't mean what they thought you meant. Cause it's hard to interpret context in a text message, right? I've had people send me text messages and I wonder what is this? I've had people leave the church after 10, 12 years through a text message. And I'm like, oh, nice to know that's all I ever meant to you was I'm worth only a text. Thank you. God bless you. Have a good day. Or you send a message and, and with the wrong emoji. I've done that too. You send the angry face emoji instead of like the smiling. It's, I still am learning what they are. And, and, and you get yourself in trouble because there's no context. It's just short and statement, a brief, right? And so we don't have the context. Sometimes you have to end up calling someone on the phone to get the context of a text message. That's why we need to look at the context of this uh, scripture today. I think it's important. Hallelujah. So we're going to help you today. Understand something that we're talking about a wilderness this morning, but Jesus was not born in the wilderness. Neither did he grow up in the wilderness. None of those things, nor was he baptized even in the wilderness, but he, we find himself, we find him in the text right in the middle of a wilderness. Right after he meets with John, gets baptized, immediately, the Bible says, he goes into the wilderness. The same wilderness, this is important for you to understand, that this is the same wilderness where Elijah crossed the Jordan and went into the wilderness where, where God evacuated him in a chariot of fire. 
it's the same wilderness. I, I've learned something about God that he often likes to use the same locations. How many of you know that sometimes you and I will end up at same places where we've been before, or God will often revisit certain circumstances and things that we've been through before? It was the same location where the Spirit carried, uh, carries Jesus and allows him to be tempted as, as Elijah was caught up, that same place. How many of you have ever had, had, had one place provoke many different emotions? All right, you, you, you have a house you grew up in and you remember the good and the bad, right? Or, or the place you had your first date and you remember the good and the bad of that, right? There's different locations or, or, or church buildings that provoke good and bad memories, right? The places we grew up in life, we all have those. There, there are locations that provoke good and bad memories. Yes, amen. Spaces that are complicated, Right? And yet the spirit of the Lord brought him to this place that's a little complicated. There's, uh, there's some history there. Some of you and I have history about certain spaces and locations. And so to keep us looking at the context, I, wanna, I want you to pay attention. We have to understand that Jesus has dropped off the scene for 18 years. Last time we saw him, he was at the age of 12. Now we're seeing him again. He is at the age of 30. And so for 18 years, we didn't see him. We didn't hear anything about him. We don't know anything. But how many of you know there is more to people than often what we see or what we know? That, that, that's what we alluded to a moment ago. We're, we're, there's more to me than a 10-second TikTok video, right? There's more to me than, than what some of you think you might know. The, the Bible really only gives you and I highlights of who Jesus is. Just the highlights, right? We, we don't get every detail. We don't get everything. We don't get to see the nothing moments of his life. Right? How many know that there are, you often just hear or see about the highlights of our lives, but you don't hear about the nothing moments of my, li of my life, of my day, day in and day out, right? We, we tend not to talk, you and your spouse don't talk about the nothing moments, and you don't go through every detail of everything you did during the day, nothing like that. There are many nothing moments. Through Scripture, we just see the highlights of Jesus. We get to see those things, the, the highlights, but, but not all the, those moments of nothingness. And so for 18 years, we don't really know anything from 12 to the age of 30. And there, here he shows up after 18 years of us seeing anything. And we don't have a lot of information about those years, just days and weeks and months of kind of nothing much going on, right? But the text that we're reading today, we find Jesus, notice something about this. We find Jesus in the midst of the crowd. Jesus was not on the stage Check this out. The first time we see Jesus in 18 years, and he is not the focus of it initially. He comes in the midst of the crowd to hear the great new hot thing, John. How many know we always run to what's hot and new, right? The newest church in town, the newest hot preacher in town, right? All of those things. We tend to do that. The newest music that is out, the newest band, the newest restaurant, the newest shopping place, all of those things. We always run to what is hot and new. We find Jesus not on the stage, but in the crowd. In the crowd coming to hear his cousin John. And all the eyes of the people were on John. Watch this. And the eyes of the people were not on Jesus. They, they weren't looking at Jesus. They, 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 they weren't paying any attention to him. They were looking and paying attention to John and what he had to say. He was that new thing. 
Amen. It's right, that's why it's always important. I, I told some uh, young preacher the other day he was going through some trouble, and I said uh, he was having issues, and I said, well, you got to keep, you got to rock it while you're young and while you're still hot and new, because once people get used to you, they won't be interested anymore. That's true. When something is no longer new, we're not interested anymore. When we, we want to go to the restaurant when it first opens. We want to go to the mall when it first opens. Hallelujah. All of those things. And so, but once people get used to you, how many know this is true? Once people get used to you, they'll take you for granted. Oh, come on. Uh, once your family gets really used to you, they'll take you for granted. Yes, they will. Once your closest friends and even sometimes church people get used to you, they'll take you for granted. They'll forget to say thank you. They'll forget how awesome you really are. That's why I've learned to give people me in small doses. Are you here? Don't ever let somebody figure you out all at once. Just give them a little of you here and there. Even, even your spouse, don't reveal it all, all at once. You, you've got to be that onion and layer by layer. Keep them interested. Keep that going. Draw out the honeymoon as long as you can, Ramona, right? Amen. See, Lois knows what I'm saying. If you let them know everything about you, you're no longer mysterious. And as long as you're not mysterious, they lose interest. Geneva knows what I'm talking about. Yes. Right? There, there has to be some mystery, right, to your spouse. It's the reason our marriages often end up and relationships end up stale and old is because we, we, we let go of all the mystery too early on. you got to draw that out. Amen. Your friends, your church people, all of that, don't let them know every area you're gifted, but let them know a little bit of time. Hallelujah. Because eventually what happens is they'll take you for granted long before they ever would. I've learned this. You'll learn to appreciate people more if you take more time to get to know them. Uh-huh. You'll learn to appreciate them. So, so let things uh, evolve slowly. All your relationships, even things with your family, they won't take you for granted as quickly. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to take our time. Getting to know people so we don't get taken for granted. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. St maintain and stay a mystery. Thank you, Jesus. Take your time to get to know people. Hallelujah. Not going to be taken for granted. Notice something about the text. The Bible says that the, Jesus was in the midst of the crowd, that the crowd even, they, they walked right past Jesus to get to John because he was the new thing. They walked right past Jesus to get to hear what John had to say. John was a disruptive kind of guy. He was even dressed a little bit different. The Bible says he was unusual. And yet the people were pushing past Jesus trying to get to John, trying to get something that was unusual, trying to get to something that was new. How many know that often we push back past something that is greater to get to something that is lesser? Yeah, oftentimes you and I have been pushed past and overlooked, right? Anybody else ever been pushed past in life? And you, you've been the greater of choice, but at work they'll push past you to go to something lesser. The people didn't know it yet. They weren't fully aware, but they were pushing past and elbowing past Jesus to get to someone who is lesser. And in a few moments, they're going to figure that out. That's why I said take time to get to know people. It often takes some time to reveal greatness. It does. It often takes some time to reveal greatness. And when time has not exposed who you really are, people will, will, will shove you kind of to the side to get to know something less 
than, what, than something that is greater. And so I've learned that you have to be sort of okay with being passed by. You have to be okay with, with, with people choosing someone lesser than you from time to time. I believe that's all part of the test sometimes too, is being passed by, by being overlooked. Anybody ever been overlooked or passed by in this life? It can be work. It can be church. It can be family. Amen. It can be someone you were interested in and they didn't pay you no time of day. Hallelujah. I believe obscurity is part of the test. Thinking this is Jesus we're talking about. And the crowd pushed past Jesus to get to someone who was lesser. Jesus, obscurity is part of that test. It, being ignored is part of the test. Being treated as ordinary is part of the test. Yes, it is. God will sometimes let people push past you and ignore you and overlook you. He will. And I've learned that what God, what God does that because he doesn't want you and I to be ego-driven. The Bible says that he, he wants you and I to be spirit-led, not led of our ego. And so he'll allow us to be pushed back, pushed by and ignored and ostracized. But can you imagine for a moment these, this crowd pushing past the water-walking Jesus? Imagine them pushing past the Jesus who turned water into wine. Imagine being at that party. The party that never ended because when they ran out, Jesus said, hold on, I'll, I'll, I'm going to make some more. And these people pushed past that Jesus, the Jesus who could perform miracles and walk on water. Jesus who could heal people, they, they pushed past them to hear John. Can you imagine them walking? Can you imagine you and I walking past Jesus like that to hear someone less important, less as powerful? They didn't have as much, much to say. Jesus, notice something. Jesus never stopped them from pushing past him. He didn't stop him. Jesus didn't try to make himself be seen. Uh, see, how many of you know that sometimes when someone's not getting enough attention, especially in the church world, they'll make a spectacle of themselves. If someone isn't happy that they're not being heard, they'll make themselves be heard. Uh-huh. Jesus didn't have to create any sideshow miracles. Notice he is in the crowd listening to someone who is lesser than him. And he's not doing anything to get their attention. He's just standing there listening. And the Bible says as John looks up, he sees Jesus. But Jesus didn't draw any attention to himself. He wasn't whispering to nobody. Oh, he thinks he's great, but you just wait to see what I can do. He, he wasn't trying to do any of those kind of things. He didn't start shouting in the midst of the crowd trying to out-preach John. No, no, no. He just stood there and watched and waited to be recognized. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? He, he, he understood. Jesus knew and he understood how to, to, how to manage his greatness. Hallelujah. How to manage his greatness. And John looks up and John says, behold, he looks up and he says, behold, there's something greater than me, basically. He says, behold, there, there's someone that you all walked past. He said, behold, I want you to pay attention to someone that is, that is in our midst that is greater than I. He said, behold, there's someone, or someone that you all have ignored. This is exactly what he says. Behold, he is the Lamb of God. He immediately gives, gives acknowledgement and turns the attention of the crowd to Jesus in the crowd. And so the Bible lets us know the crowd parts and everybody begins to turn and all the eyes of the crowd who had ignored Jesus are now on Jesus. Jesus goes from obscurity to notoriety in a moment, just like that. 
You need to understand something. Sometimes you and I will be overlooked, pushed past all of those things. But in a moment, that can all change. Amen. Jesus was just waiting for the opportunity, waiting for the moment. What you, what you and I sometimes often think will take years often just takes a step. Just takes a moment in time. Why? Because even the Bible says our steps are ordered of the Lord. See, see, Jesus wasn't getting impatient trying to make something happen. He was just waiting, understanding that even his steps are ordered of the Lord. Amen, somebody. You and I will often get frustrated because things and people aren't moving as quickly as you want them to. And then I know nobody in here is, has ever manipulated people or things to get it to turn out your way. But Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus wasn't manipulating behind the scenes trying to get anything to happen before it was time. Any moment sooner, he just waited for the right opportunity opportunity because he knew that his steps were ordered of the Lord. Hallelujah. Because he knew one, when just one moment, it would all change. Hallelujah. He wasn't concerned with the stage. He was concerned with his steps. Did you hear me? He wasn't concerned with the stage. He didn't. He knew he didn't need to be recognized. He was concerned with his steps. All too many times we get more concerned about the stage than we do our steps. Uh-huh. Whether I get recognized, whether our spouse recognizes us, you need to be more concerned with your steps than your stage. Hallelujah. We're going to get somewhere in a moment. Are you still with me? This is the first time. This text is the first time that we see John and Jesus together in the same place since they were in the womb of their mothers. You need to remember back, I'll just give you a brief flashback, back when, when Jesus and John were in the womb of both Mary, hallelujah, and Elizabeth, we read again a time when they were standing in the midst of the water together. They were in the water of the womb, and now we find them in the text standing in the water of this that their Jesus is about to be baptized in. The Bible says that when they were just babies in their mother's womb, that even, even, even John was filled with the Holy Spirit, leaped in his mother's womb, uh, amen, when they first had their first interaction. And now we see them all these years later, hallelujah, in the text together again. Amen. It was sort of a deja vu moment where here they are. Jesus steps down into the water with John and Jesus and John are probably like, we have been here before. How many remember deja vu, right? You've heard me say you all have had those moments where you feel like you've been there before, you've experienced it, you've lived it before. And I told you that deja vu is simply when your spirit has a memory of your future that your mind struggles to comprehend. Meaning our spirit was with God long before we were ever created in birth. And it was something that God had showed you while you were still with God. And you're just living something that God had showed you while you were with him. Are you with me now? Amen. Isn't God awesome? See, you didn't live it before. You hadn't been there before. It was just God showed you when you were with him before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. God showed you a little glimpse of your life, and now it's just like a flashback that you're having in this of your life. That's what Jesus and John were experiencing right there. It was a moment. They had been there before. God had already showed them this. That he had, they, had, they had had a previous experience even as, as, as babies in the womb of their mothers, and now here they are meeting up again some 30 years later and it's a moment that they feel like they have lived before where their spirit is having a memory of their future that their mind was struggling to comprehend hallelujah 
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I, and I love this text. It's the first time that they meet in all these years. And the Bible says that, that as they meet together, as Jesus steps down from the crowd and all, and all the crowd begins to look at Jesus, the, the crowd turns and looks at Jesus and the Bible says that the heavens open up. See, this is why you and I have to be more concerned with our steps than we are our stage. Because if you're concerned with your steps, that's how you're going to get the heavens to open up. It's not necessarily about being seen or heard or whether we get passed by by people or in the workplace or anyone else. Have your steps ordered of the Lord. That's one of the ways you're going to get the heavens to open up over, uh, over you. And so that's why you and I sometimes just need to pray, Lord, please lead my steps to the place that the heavens open up. Lead my steps, hallelujah. Lord, not just lead my steps, but help me to keep my mouth shut that I, I, don't, I don't get myself in trouble and, and get in front of you. Notice Jesus didn't even open his mouth until he was recognized by John. Notice Jesus was the greater being recognized by somebody lesser. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of people who would take the time to recognize someone that is greater than them because it'd make them look bad. Haven't you ever noticed that? Uh, certain we've all probably had bosses that don't like to recognize anyone that is better than them and more intelligent than them. Any of those things is it makes them look less than. And yet John takes the time to recognize and acknowledge that Jesus is in their midst and that he has arrived upon the scene. Amen. We, we, we need to be able to understand just like the text, Lord, Lord, help me order my steps so I'm at the place like Jesus was where the heavens opened up. In other words, I don't have time to argue with people. Amen. I've got to get to the spot where the heavens will open up. We, you and I can't spend a lot of time uh, wasting time on things that don't matter. We need to be focused on being at the right spot where the heavens can open up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus, that's what Jesus was focused on. He was focused on being at the right place at the right time where he knew the heavens needed to open up. Not, not saying anything, not getting in front of God, but being at the right spot. Being at the right spot where the heavens can open up in the midst of our life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You have to know that you and I, you and I have to got to know that we are in the spot where God wants us for the heavens to open up. You have to know that you're in the spot, that, that there's no devil in hell that can run you and I off of where God has for us. Amen. You, sometimes we got to just stop letting, letting people and stop letting the enemy run us off from our post. Amen. Diana heard me. We, 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 so how many have ever let people run you off from somewhere you know you're supposed to be? Because we just get tired of people. We get tired of their nonsense. We get tired of fighting the de devils. Amen. You and I have got to be, Jesus could have got mad, pouted, and walked away because the, the crowd passed him by. But he would have missed the spot. He would have missed the spot where the heavens opened up and the glory of God came down. He would have missed the spot where, 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 where the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You and I have got to pay attention to our steps more than we do our stage. We've got, we've got to pay attention to the spot where God is calling us and hold it down. Hold down your place. Don't let anybody run you out of your family. Don't let anybody run you out of your place in the body of Christ. Don't let anybody run you out of your own house. Don't let people People run you out of places they're trying to remove you from. You need to recognize it, that this is your spot and you're going to hold it down. This is the place that you are, God has called you to be and you're going to be there. Amen. This is the spot. Notice something. This is the spot. This is what's so important about it is this is the spot where, where Jesus' purpose is revealed. 
It's why important you and I've got to pay attention and make sure that we're at the right place at the right time, even if there are some bad memories attached to it or conflicting memories, that we're at the right place at the right time. It's where purpose is revealed. This is the spot notice of affirmation. Not just, not just does Jesus get affirmed by man, John, but he also gets affirmed by his Father in heaven. It's one thing for you and I to get affirmed by people. Isn't it nice when people pat you on the back and tell you how great you are? Right? That's good. We all need that from time to time. Jesus just didn't get affirmed by John, but Jesus gets affirmed from his Father in heaven. Jesus look, God looks down and he says, this is my son in who I am well pleased. Amen. Amen. John says, behold, the Lamb of God. Getting the attention of the people and, and God the Father in heaven, a voice from heaven, the Bible says, comes down and it begins to speak and says, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. So I know something about the text. When the Bible says immediately he ends up going into the wilderness, God didn't send him to the wilderness out of punishment. How many of you have ever thought that hard times you were experiencing was because of punishment? Because of something you did. See, I heard somebody preach this text that, that Jesus was sent there as a means to, to keep him humble out of, out, of, out, of, out of punishment. No, no, no. Jesus, God just said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So I know he wasn't sent there out of punishment, anything like that. He wasn't sent there just to keep him humble. No, no, no. He, he was sent there for a little bit more than that. You need to understand something, that if you are living in a wilderness place right now where things are dry and desolate and things aren't all going right right now, it is not because of something you did wrong. Amen. God did not send you to the place where it, it's a little weary and you're being tried and maybe even tempted and tested out of punishment for you. He didn't send Jesus there for that reason. He's not sending you there for that reason. There's more to the story. Look at your neighbor and say, there's more to the story. Yes, there's more to the story. Hallelujah. Notice the same spirit that it descended like a dove and anoints him is the same spirit that drives him into the wilderness. Uh-huh. I said the same spirit. We're taking a couple minutes to put this text in context for you because it's important. Because sometimes you and I think that we, are, we find ourselves in the wilderness and we think it's because we did something wrong. I want to prove that wrong today. It is not because of something that you did wrong. The wilderness you are experiencing or did experience or are about to experience is not your fault. Yes, amen. It's not punishment. Instead, it's preparation. Amen. David's with me. He's still awake, y'all. I said it's not punishment. It's preparation. It's preparation for what is to come. That's why you and I have to be able to identify the spot. Oh, looky now. Had Jesus had tried to get the attention of the crowd on his own, he would have missed the spot and he would have missed the preparation. Oh, how many times we have missed the spot and missed the preparation because we got in the way of God trying to make something happen before it was high time and ready to be uh, accomplished in our life. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. That's why we're putting everything in context for you today in this place. This is the place right here in the wilderness where, 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 where God proves the authenticity of what he said in the Jordan. Because I've learned that God will never call you something that you and I won't manifest. 
He proves it all right here. That's why he immediately sends him into the wilderness. Some of you need to understand the whole way that God is going to prove who you are and what he has said over you and about you is by sending you and I into wilderness places. Oh, See, haven't you ever, anybody else ever said, God, when am I going to get blessed? God, when am I going to step into the full calling that you have for me? God, when are you going to use me like you do so-and-so? Right? We get frustrated, and yet you, you, you're missing the fact that your wilderness is trying to prepare you, and here you are rejecting the wilderness. You're trying to run up out of there. You're trying to evacuate like, 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 like God evacuated Elijah. You're trying to just beam me up, Scotty, get me out of here. And God's not interested. God's saying, no, I have you there for purpose and I have you there for preparation. How many of you know some of the people in your life that irk you, that irritate you? Anybody else got family like that? My mom's here, so I can't say it's her. So it's all my family who isn't here. They irritate me sometimes. Plus, I have to work with her every day of the week, you know, in the office. But how many of you know even in the office, Lois can rub me like sandpaper? Cynthia, right? I probably rub her like sandpaper. I, I know she gets irritated when I'm not organized and I, and I don't know what's, what's coming up and, and, and mom's trying to plan and be church administrator and, and I haven't fully made decisions about what she needs to administrate about. So sometimes they're, they're on the, working on the fly and you know what I'm talking about? And, and so we just have to learn like that and, and the women's enormous closet will get frustrated because maybe I have to change a date or something. I forgot to communicate it to them and so now they're working on the fly. Are you hearing me? And then we've got family, people in our our lives that they're just sandpaper. Some of you are going to see them today and just their very sight of them just, right? Am I only preaching to myself? I have people like that in my life. They're good. They just keep you polished. They keep you, they, 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 just, they just sort of rub you the wrong way. Amen. And yet you need to recognize something that God is trying to use them for a purpose. Oh yeah, I know they might have a devil. I know you might even see him as a devil themselves. Hallelujah. But God says in his word that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So that means every evil. Remember the message I preached when evil works for God? Even in, God even allowed in Scripture an evil spirit to work for his benefit. That means every person that rubs you the wrong way, it's working for your good. That's why you need to go in and give your enemy a hug and say, oh, they they don't need to know it, but you know they're working for your good. Come on. Somebody should say amen. Amen. Yes. Even our family that irritates us. Amen. The people who owe you money and didn't pay you back, they work for your good. The people who cut me off at Walmart, they're working for my good. The people who irritate me in Walmart, they're working for my good. Amen. Everybody on your workplace tomorrow that, that gets in your issues and makes you want to scream and yell and lose every Christianity that you got today. They're working for your good. So you've got to start seeing people differently. It'll allow you to, to operate in a little bit more grace and have a little bit more love where you typically would lose your mind. I've gotten better at losing my fuse. Those of you that have been with me, uh, David's laughing, but it's true. Those of you that know me well, some of you have seen me at Walmart, you know. Uh, I've gotten better at losing my, I don't lose it quite as quick. Some of you have seen me lose my fuse. Uh-huh, uh-huh. See, see, now Lois wants to say amen. She, she woke up back there. Uh-huh. And the reason I've gotten better is because I've learned that it's all working for my good. Let them throw their fit. Let them pass you by. Let them take you for granted. It's working for my good. You're just, you're just preparing me. You're preparing me. So, so when people treat you any certain kind of way, 
just just under your breath, Lord, you're preparing me. Right? Remember the course we used to sing, oh, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. See, you were singing and you didn't even know he's preparing you. Your enemies have been preparing you. The people who overlooked you, they've been preparing you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I've learned something about God, that God's favor does not exempt you and I from famines. I said God's favor does not exempt you and I from famines. It means trouble comes to us too. Yeah, trouble comes to you and I too. Hallelujah. It does, it does, it does. Thank you, Lord. So the Bible says the Spirit led him to the wilderness. Remember, he caught Elijah up in that same wilderness. This is the same wilderness where he taught Joshua how to lead in the midst of this wilderness. See, there's some history here. He established Israel as a nation in this wilderness. He's a God that does some of his best work in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of a troubled place. Yes. He's the same God that he creates streams in the midst of the desert. He puts it another way that he's a present help in trouble. In other words, he's God of my trouble. He's God in my trouble. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when things aren't going wrong, you have to still see that he is God and that he is in the midst of it. So if you're and I in trouble, you've got to recognize you're not in this by yourself because he helps you and I in trouble. That's why he said I'm an ever-present help in trouble. If you're in trouble right now, newsflash, you're not alone. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And so the Bible says that he leads Jesus immediately after being baptized into the wilderness. Here we're about to get where we need to go. He led him into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. And he did it so that all the spectators would know that he is the real deal. How many of you know sometimes what you and I are going through is more for somebody else than it is for us? Uh-huh. It was for everybody who was spectating and watching, and now all their eyes are fixed upon Jesus to make sure that he is the real deal, to make sure that, that, that he, can, he can endure this, to, make sure, to, 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 to prove what has already been said when he was baptized. This is my son and who I am well pleased. In other words, if you can handle power and you can't handle the pain, then you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? If you and I can handle power, but we can't handle pain, then God's saying, hey, we're not fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's way of saying, Let, let's see if you can handle the, the power and the pain with what we're about to do. And so the Bible says that Jesus went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. A lot different than our fast today. Jesus fasted all food, 40 days, nothing to eat. I know some of you in the midst of your Daniel fast and some of you have been cheating and we fast things like Facebook and we fast things like our cell phone and TV, right? But this was an all-out food fast. He was drinking water. Uh-huh. Right? We, we've contemporized uh, our fast today to make it convenient, to make them more comfortable. But back when I was growing up when we fasted in our churches, it was nothing. I, I know I was taught don't even chew gum. It didn't matter if your breath stunk. Don't chew none. Don't even eat a cert because all the old ladies in the church would think you were skipping out on your fast if they saw a breath mint in your mouth. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But now we've made it to where it, it's, it's friendly. Fasting is friendly. We adapt it to what makes it easy, and we don't really feel the pain of fasting. Amen. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Oh, yes. He didn't eat no little Debbie. Uh-uh. 
He didn't eat no Christmas cookie tray. Nothing like that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He didn't stop off and get a Starbucks or even get the popcorn from the little stand up at Target, right? Are you hearing me? Amen. When you go in Target, you have to stop and get popcorn because they make it smell too good, like Hills. Remember, Hills is where the toys are. You couldn't help but stop at the snack bar there or Gabe's. Oh, come on. See, now I got your attention again. Oh, see, I'm catching you all right. Where are you like it? It's getting close to lunchtime. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus wasn't stopping off getting himself a a, a latte in the midst of his fast. Cindy? Uh Uh-uh. Oh, I I know she likes to stop down at high gear and get her coffee, right? Jesus didn't stop off at high gear or McDonald's or Dunkin'. Uh Uh-huh. He didn't stop off to get a pesto grilled cheese at Dunkin'. Those are slamming, by the way, if you hadn't had one yet. Oh, when you get through your fast. Mm, thank you, Jesus, for pesto grilled cheese sandwiches. Oh, I mean, just a side note for all of you that are fasting. When you break your fast, go to Dunkin' and get yourself a pesto. I know I'm just teasing y'all. I am. I'm, no, I'm hangry, all right? This has been a challenging fast because I've been extra testy, been off Pepsi and coffee like my normal, you know. And oh, Lord Jesus. Mm. Every devil in me has been coming up, you know. <sighs> yeah. My point is that Jesus wasn't, wasn't, wasn't cheating on his fast. Mm-mm. He, he, he was an old school fast like I grew up in, the old school full gospel Pentecostal church where, you know, they, they, we, the older ladies in the church were checking you out, seeing what you had in your mouth, making sure you were dressed appropriate, all those kind of things. You know, I know what those are. And if ladies came in with their stuff a little bit too short, they were putting claws over you, right? They were teaching ladies modesty. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. They were teaching us young men how to be good men and fathers and that even when we were a child. Yeah, I know we don't know what any of that is now. So now we gripe and complain about men who don't know how to be fathers and husbands is because the church quit teaching. Oh, yeah, see, the Bible says train up a child in the way they will go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. The church quit teaching. Don't blame daddy. Don't blame mommy. Blame you. Church, I said the church quit teaching. The Bible's clear. Train up a child. I'm going to start preaching now. In the way they will go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Look in our neighborhood. You want to know why the people in this neighborhood are losing their mind? The church quit teaching them. Church, quit teaching us how to be uh, fathers and mothers and how to treat people right. That's right. We did. And so now we're ended up with, with things and people we don't recognize. Oh, hallelujah. But we're going to start teaching them. Yes, we are. Glory to God. Now back to the word as we planned. Jesus fasting for 40 days, nothing for 40 days. Why did he fast for 40 days? The purpose of this fast, we're getting to the good part. The purpose of this fast was for him to say to his flesh, you, you can't control me. To, to say to his flesh that there is something more powerful than you. The whole purpose of you and I fasting is to remind ourselves and our flesh that there is something more powerful than it. That we're not going to give in to every craving and desire. That we don't have to give in and pull into Starbucks every time it crosses our mind. That we don't have to give in and get our pesto grilled cheese sandwich just because we can smell it. Amen. That I don't have to drive up to Target and get my popcorn just because I can smell it in my nose now that I've talked about it. Right? There's something more powerful that the spirit of the living God is more powerful than, than, than our flesh. That's the purpose of it. Jesus was letting his flesh know that. To, to say to his flesh, I won't fall where the first Adam fell. I'll feel what Adam felt, but I'm not going to fall where he fell. 
I mean, no, that Adam fell because he couldn't control himself, Adam and Eve. But, but Jesus is fasting and proving to Satan, I'm not going to make the same mistake that Adam did. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. See, one thing that's interesting about the text is you would think that, that Satan would have attacked Jesus while he was fasting. But he didn't attack him while he was fasting. He waited until the fast was over. Uh-huh. He waited till it was over. How many of you know that you would think he would want to attack him in the midst of, of, of the fast while he is much, much weak? But he waited till it was over until all of his strength was depleted, till he was at a really weary moment. Amen. So, so he, he waits and he waits until Jesus had too much. He, he, I believe he knew. I believe Satan, Satan knows more about you and I and who God is than often we give him credit. I believe Satan knew that Jesus had too much integrity and that he knew he wouldn't break his fast. And so he thought, I'll just wait until it's over. So he waited until it was over. He waited until it was legal for Jesus to eat. He waited until there was no biblical reason why Jesus couldn't eat. And he says to him, he says, if you are the son of God, he says, won't you have some lunch with me? Why don't you take this stone and turn it into some bread? He said, let, let, let's, let's, let's have some lunch, right? So he waits until it's over. It's him trying to get him to use his power to satisfy his need. Turn something, in, turn something that isn't into something that you and I want. We could recognize that another way. How many have ever tried to change someone that isn't something, but you're trying to make them into something that they're not? Uh-huh, we could recognize it in another way like that, meaning that oftentimes you're trying to get our, your spouse to be someone they're just not to be. You're trying to make a stone a bread. Oh, yeah, I know. We've done that a time or two, uh, especially married people. We're, you, you, we're trying to turn someone who is a stone and turn them into bread. And, and you've got to recognize what this is all about. We're, we're tempted to sometimes see people as stones and believe that we can somehow turn them to bread. We, we marry people and somehow think that we can turn them into bread. But Jesus said to Satan, he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's what he said. Then the Bible says that Satan takes him to a high place and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he showed him the high place. From the high place, he said that all the places that he would give him. I believe, I believe here again that, that Satan knew what Jesus wanted before he showed it to him. Because Satan will never tempt you and I with something you don't like. He's not going to tempt you with something you don't want. That's why when temptation comes in, in life and it never shows up in a form of something that you're not interested in, it always shows up in a form of what you are interested in. He, he'll show you another individual that would cause you to, to not be faithful and maintain integrity, someone that you're interested in. Satan never brings someone across your path that you're not interested in. So he takes him to the high place, shows him the kingdoms of the world, and says, I can give you all of this because he already knew what Jesus was interested in him. Hallelujah. I, I tell you a story, but I'll, I'll refrain. Uh, you know, Satan will always bring people by to, to catch your interest, to catch your eye, to catch you with things that, that you might covet in this life. That's the game that he plays. Jesus is here at the end of his fast, and the enemy's tempting him with the, with the pride of life. But Satan is offering Jesus what is already his. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, and the world, and they that dwell therein. So how, are, how is Satan going to offer the, the, the uh, uh, how is Satan going to offer the bread to the bread of life? 
right? How, how can he offer bread to the bread of life? How can he offer the kingdoms of the world which are already his, right? It's already been given him all, the earth in all of its fullness. The enemy is always offering you and I stuff that we often already have. He just will show it to you in a different form. It's kind of like uh, th- this scenario of the up and down. Jesus goes from a high place, uh, standing in, in the rivers, uh, being baptized with his cousin John, right? And then he immediately goes into the wilderness. How many know what the highs and lows of life are like? Up and down and all around. And as quick as you have a win, there's a loss. And we are up and down. And I've heard people say, I just get tired of the roller coaster ride. But that's life. Even this text is showing Jesus riding the same roller coaster you and I are. He was in a high place. He got recognized by the crowd suddenly. He went from uh, obscurity to notoriety. He's getting baptized. It was all great, but immediately the Spirit of the Lord sends him into the wilderness. It's just like a roller coaster ride. The last time I was at Kennywood and we rode that goofy, awful skyrocket thing or whatever it was, and Brandon sending us, I'll tell you what, I had an awful, awful panic attack, and I was, trying to, I was literally trying to get off that ride mid-ride. I didn't care that it went upside down six or seven times. I didn't care if I'd fall to the ground. I wanted out. I even told them as it took off, I said, let me out. But you know what? They didn't let me out. Why? Because it had already started. Some of you and I are trying to stop the ride of life, but it has already started. In other words, you're trying to stop purpose. You're trying to halt your preparation. Hallelujah. It's the ride of life, right? There are going to be ups and downs. You and I will have moments where we'll laugh and then we'll cry. Sometimes we'll shout and then we'll scream, right? But no matter how much you scream or yell, no matter how much I screamed at Kennywood, they did not let me off that ride. Didn't matter that I cried. Didn't matter none of those things. They won't let you off. You're on right? You're on there. doesn't matter sometimes the temper tantrums that we throw. God's not going to let you and I off the, the ride of life or get us off halfway through. This is the, one of the first lessons uh, uh, that, that we begin to see in this text. Jesus' first lesson to us, that one moment he was affirmed by man and by God, and the next moment he's in the wilderness. In the fast of his life, one moment he's talking to his father, and the next He's fighting with the devil. One moment he's talking with a friend, and the next minute he's standing all by himself. That's life. That's normal. I want you to see that about this text. It is normal that you're supposed to have these ups and these downs, these highs and these lows, right? That's why the Bible says that we're just to be steadfast and immovable, helping you and I to get to a place where things that happen in life won't rock us and won't move us, but will maintain consistency. Uh, Jesus really shows you and I, he exemplifies what faith and transition should look like. I think sometimes we often want faith uh, to, to, to stop the movement of life. I think sometimes in the church we have this idea that our faith should stop the movement of life. But what you have to have is faith in the movement. Are you hearing me? You and I have to have faith in the movement of life. You, we have to maintain faith in the good and the bad times. We have to have faith in the wilderness and in the rivers getting baptized. We have to have faith when we're alone or when we're standing talking with a friend. Amen. That, that's what Jesus is helping to teach you and I. Don't have faith to get you out of the movement of life. Have the faith to keep you held, held firm in the midst of the movement of life. Stop trying to get out of the trouble you're enduring and know that he is the God in an ever-present help of trouble. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Because remember, just because we're in a dry place, just because we're in a desert place doesn't mean God is judging you. Why? Because a wilderness, a desert is an unpredictable place. 
I mean, remember, very few things can grow in a desert. It is hotter than hot in the day and freezing cold at night. The desert is a place you can't prepare for it. You just have to pray to survive it, right? You can't dress to, to live in the desert, right? Because what you'll be wearing in the morning, you could do, you, it's not enough at night, all right? You, you just have to survive the desert. That's where you and I are at. That's why I said you have to have the faith to endure the movement of life. Stop trying to have the faith to, to get out of the movement of life. See, you and I can live in a house, but we're in a wilderness, you and I can be, be married or have family issues, and yet we can still be in a, in, a, in a wilderness. We can have a car, and yet we can still be in a wilderness. See, uh, there, there's a lot of things. People can look at a little glimpse of our life, and yet we can still be living in a wilderness. Just because you pulled up in some nice ride today doesn't mean you're not enduring some kind of wilderness or desert experience. Just because you get to go home to a multi-million dollar home, and I get to go home to my wilderness, doesn't mean you're not experiencing a wilderness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. But in the midst of the wilderness, it's easy to, to question and ask, where is God? Where is God? Because we've learned to often only see God in the magnificent things of life and not to see God in the mundane things of life. But God reveals himself in the mundane wilderness places of our life. I said he reveals himself to you and I in wilderness, mundane places of this life. It's easy to sometimes see God when we're in here singing and shouting and whatever. You can see God when people are getting prayer and all of that. But it's not as easy sometimes to see him in the mundane things of this life. But, and we'll often ask the question, where is God in the midst of this? God, where are you? God, I didn't think I'd have to endure something like this. God, why, I why am I having to wait this long? God, why does this seem to be a continual problem for me? Why, why, is why, why, why? We'll ask that over and over again. In the text, we can look at the text and easily say, why is Jesus under attack now that the fast is over? It'll cause you and I to ask the question, why? Why is it happening now? Of all times, why is it happening now? As Jesus' experience in the, in the wilderness continued, he is weak, the Bible tells us, from the fast, but he is not falling. Notice something about the text. He is now against the rocks. Oh, this is a good part. His fast is complete, and the Bible says he is now against the rocks. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus is so weak, he's not walking, he's not talking. He can't go any further, he can't pray any louder. He is against the rocks. Notice something about the text that we read. It says he is up against the rocks and in the presence of beasts. Oh, Lord. The beasts. We, we could take some time there, but I don't have the time to give you that I need to be able to give to that. Notice something. The beasts are waiting. The beasts recognize that he is weary. The beasts recognize his weakness following the fast. The beast recognized he's not maybe as, as quick on his game as he would have been before. And so it's an easy attack. And so the beasts are there. And so, so here we are. The beasts are waiting on him to die. See, what we see in the text is a savior, the, but the, the beasts see dinner. 
How many know the Bible says that the enemy goes about to and fro seeking whom he may devour? The enemy doesn't often catch you at a time where you are strong. He'll catch you at a time when you were weak. Oh. And the Bible says that Jesus is in, still in the wilderness, but his, his back is against the rocks. He is leaning against the, the, the rocks. Oh. He's leaning against the, the rocks. The, the beasts seeing Jesus as an opportunity. They're just waiting to catch him against the rocks. I mean, there are some people in our life that they're just waiting for the right opportunity to get you. There's people that we know, there's people in our lives, there's people that maybe even we love, but they're just waiting for an opportunity. That's just like the enemy. The enemy waits for the right opportunity to get you and I, to get you and I against the rocks. That's why a few weeks ago I said we have to be real careful that even when the Bible says do not become weary in well-doing, the enemy wants to catch you weary. The, The whole goal is to not allow ourselves to become weary. Don't get so weak, don't get so worn down. Don't allow yourself to get to the place where you're an easy target. Jesus is against the rocks and the beasts are waiting. But the Bible says that the angels came and ministered to him. This is where I wanted to get today, that the angels came. How many know he's at a weak place? He's at a vulnerable place, but it's not over. He's against the walk, against the rocks, depleted of strength, weary, all of those things, feeling like he can't go on anymore. But notice something that the Bible says the angels came at this moment. Notice something. The angels didn't, didn't come and say anything when he was on the mountain. The angels didn't come and do anything when, when Satan took him to the high place. The angels didn't come and do anything. There's no mention of the angels or what they're doing when, when Satan tries to get Jesus to eat and turn stone into bread. No mention of the angels. It's not there. You can't show that to me. Uh-uh. Oh, thank you, Jesus. No mention of the angels when Jesus is in the midst of being tempted. But when, they, but when the beasts got ready to devour him. Notice what the text says. Verse 13, and he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted of Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. See, some of you know what it is to be up against the rocks. Some of you know what it is to be in a wilderness place, to be in a dry place, to be going through one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Some of you even know what it is to have some beasts waiting on you to faint in order to devour you. There are some people that y'all know, they're just waiting for you and I to mess up. And when you mess up, they're the, they're the people that point out every wrong thing you ever do. Amen. Amen, that's true. There's some people, they'll, they'll wait until we say just one wrong thing. They'll do it on Facebook sometimes during a message. They'll, one thing you say wrong, one thing we do wrong, and they'll jump in on the attack, right? Some of you and I have been going through life like that. It has been one thing after the other after the other, and there have been beasts just waiting on you and I to faint, and some of us have gotten kind of close. I know what it is to be up against the rocks in a vulnerable place in life, but I also know what it is like when the angels of the Lord come in to rescue me out of whatever it is I'm experiencing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I know what it is when the the enemy comes in like a flood 
when the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord raises up a standard against him. That's, that's what the Bible says. When, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I know what it is for, for, for God to show up in, in the moment of calamity. The Bible says that the angels of the Lord will encamp around those who fear him. That the angels of the Lord will encamp around those who fear him. So here's the hope of the word of God today. You and I may be tired and we may be up against the rocks. We may be enduring one thing after the other after the other. It has been difficult. It has been battle after battle. There may be multiple areas where things aren't working on going right in your life right now. And you might feel as though you are up against the rocks. Sometimes I feel like I show up to church up against the rocks. Hanging on for dear life. Praying, God, just give me the strength enough to get through. You might feel that way. You might feel like you're up against the rocks. But here's the news of the, of the text today. But your angels are on the way. I said your angels are on the way. Amen. Ramona's still with me. Your angels are on the way. You, you can feel like Jesus is clinging out of depleted of all strength in a very vulnerable place. Clinging to the rocks. Unable to really at a vulnerable place depleted of all of his strength, but yet his angels were on the way. See, you and I can be weary and worn, but your angels are on the way. See, I've learned something about God. The reason I didn't die at moments when I probably should have died, how many have ever done stupid things and you thought it probably should have killed you, but it didn't kill you? And you've often said, why, why didn't that kill me? I was so dumb and I was foolish and I did things I never should have done. How did I ever get out of that car accident, right? There, there was nothing left to that car and somehow I'm still here. It didn't kill me. Amen. I, I, I drank too much. I, I got high too much, right? And yet I'm still here. All of those things. The whole reason that you are even here right now, the reason you didn't die and you probably should have is that the angels covered you. Hallelujah. Somebody was praying on your behalf and the angels covered you. Some of you and I pray for people and it's the angels that have been covering them. That's the only reason that they've made it this far right now. Hallelujah. You've been pleading the blood of Jesus over their life. Angels came into their midst. I, I hope somebody understands what I'm saying today. Some of the people that sit on that wall of prayer, their names get called out before heaven. We don't don't know them. We will probably never meet some of them, and yet they're prayed for. We dispatch angels on their behalf and over and over their home. Every person on my prayer list that sends a prayer request, we, we pray over. I call their name out every morning, and I dispatch angels at the four corners of their property and their business, warring angels and ministering angels. Why? See, some of you are just reaping the benefit of somebody else's prayer. And even when you feel like you are, the, you are at your lowest and your most vulnerable place, depleted of all strength, sometimes you're not even able to get up and move on and do anything more. I'm telling you, angels are on your way, on their way to meet you. The, the reason that you and I didn't drown in some of the stuff that others did is the angels covered you. Hallelujah. The reason that, that you are where you are right now is because angels covered you. The reason that you didn't die when doctors said you could die was because angels covered you. Somebody reached out to me the other day and was asking me about the heart procedure I had. and She was all nervous. I said, don't be nervous. I said, when you wake up from that thing, you're going to feel like 100% better. I said, the minute I woke up out of anesthesia, I felt like a brand new person. I felt like I was reinvigorated. I didn't feel 60 years old and depleted of all strength anymore. For everybody who's 60, I'm sorry. 
but, but, but I didn't feel like that. I said, I felt young and vibrant again. All of those things. I said, do it, do it, do it, do it. See what the enemy meant to destroy and take out your life. It was because angels covered you and I, right? Times when you and I should have never made it out. Times when cancer tried to kill you and it didn't. Angels were covering you. Are you hearing me? Times where you were in a low place. Some of you and I, some of you have been depressed like I've been at times and you've thought about ending it all, but angels came into your midst and ministered to you. Oh, come on somebody. Angels came in the midst because somebody was praying. Angels intervened. You didn't have the strength to go on. You didn't see anything good to even live for anymore. You felt like everything was depleting you of strength, but angels had you covered. That's what I'm talking about today. Jesus was at a place like that after going through a fast, being tempted of Satan at a low place, clinging to the rocks, depleted of all of his strength, but angels were on the way. See, see, one thing you need to notice about this text is, is, is you and I can't get out of our wilderness. See, we often want to get out of our wilderness and you can't get out of your wilderness, but watch this. You may not be able to get out of your wilderness, but you can't get your angels out of there either from ministering to you. Are you hearing me? See, we often want to exit the wilderness. We want to end the area that's frustrating us. We want to end the area that's depleting us. But you need to remember, if you try to exit there, don't do that because your angels are there. They're assigned to minister to you. Hallelujah. So whether I'm in the midst of the Jordan, whether I'm on the mountain, whether I'm in the wilderness, no matter where I am, the angel of the Lord has encamped around me. I said, no matter where you are, the angel of the Lord has encamped around you. When you and I are under attack and trying to be destroyed, the angel of the Lord will minister to you. You have angels right now in your wilderness. I said, you have angels in your wilderness. I, I, I'm, I'm about to close, but I need you to understand this right now. While you have felt weary and alone, while some of you have felt like God has abandoned you, I don't, so I've asked God that. I said, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. Uh, I, you don't speak no more. I don't even feel your presence. I, God, I feel alone. No, 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 no. That's the point. You're in the wilderness. But he's sending angels. He has sent angels to minister to you. Mm. And the wilderness was meant to prepare you. And if you will allow the angels to do what they have been sent to do, amen, then you'll get all the preparation that you need all the preparation that you need. I have angels in the wilderness. See, I can praise in the midst of the wilderness because I have angels. I can praise him in the wilderness because I have angels in the wilderness. I can shout even though everything isn't perfect because I have angels in the wilderness. Our marriage can be a wilderness, but we have angels in the wilderness. Come on. Our finances might be a wilderness right now, but we have angels in the wilderness. Our families can be a wreck right now, but we have angels in the wilderness. See, God loves you and I enough that he'll send help. Our help cometh from the Lord. And you and I have angels in the wilderness today. Hallelujah. See, it don't matter. Some, some people go home to a luxury multi-million dollar estate today. And then others of us are going to go home to our wilderness. But don't matter what it is you're going home to, you have angels in your wilderness. When you walk into a place today that you don't necessarily feel loved and accepted angels in your wilderness. They've gone before you. They've prepared a place for you. Don't matter what people think of you. Don't matter what anybody says about you. Don't matter if they stump you or ignore you. You have angels in your wilderness. Is somebody hearing what I'm telling you today? It doesn't matter what they say. Angels in your wilderness. Hallelujah. If you're able to today, you stand to your feet with me. You have angels in your wilderness. 
angels in your wilderness. I'm not in this by myself. I have angels in my wilderness. Jesus wasn't enduring it by himself. There were angels sent to minister to him. You and I need to be able to identify and recognize and receive strength from every angel that God has sent to minister and to strengthen you. So as we prepare to close today, I want you to allow the angels of, of the Lord to minister to you. I want you to recognize something about a scripture I just quoted to you. That the angel of the Lord, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. See, everybody has a wilderness, but not everybody has angels. The Bible makes that clear. I said everybody will endure and experience a wilderness, but not everybody will have angels. The Bible says the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. Not to be afraid of, meaning fear as in reverence. Meaning I acknowledge you enough to, give you a, to have a reverent fear. To recognize that God, you are... You are almighty God. As long as you and I have a reverent fear of the Lord, the Bible says the angels of the Lord encamp around you. Oh, so you were not in this by yourself. You can feel lonely and you can even feel discouraged and depleted of all strength and you may feel like Jesus clinging to the rocks. But angels encamp around those who fear the Lord. What God needs is people who will fear the Lord again. We've abandoned that in our Church of America, fear of the Lord. We, we, we don't fear Him. We don't have a reverent fear. We, we, we casually serve God. Well, if I can't go, I get to serve God online. And if I can't go, it's okay. I can just have church my way. We don't have a reverent fear of the Lord anymore. Well, I believe in part of this word is not just God wanting to encourage you, but God calling some people home to introduce you and I to a reverent fear of the Lord again. Well, we, we recognize there is something bigger than me. That's what Jesus was doing in this text. From, the, from, from, from John acknowledged that there was something bigger than him. Jesus acknowledged to the fast there was something even bigger and stronger than him. And you and I in the church have to acknowledge that there was something bigger and more powerful than us. And therefore causing us to have a reverent fear of the Lord. I, I can't be a certain way. I can't act a certain way because I recognize there's something bigger than me. Hallelujah. And I got to serve him with all the days of my life. I challenge you today that you would recognize that there is someone bigger than you and it isn't you. We can, we'll we set all of our big egos aside and our laughter and our jokes and all of that. There's someone bigger than us, more powerful than us. Almighty God. There's a name bigger than Adam and it's Jesus. There's a name that's bigger than you and I. There's a name than the, the people in our family and it's Jesus. Amen. And you and I have got to get to a place of reverent fear of who he is. And if you'll fear him, the Bible says the angels of the Lord will encamp around you. I don't know any greater of a time that we need angels encamped around us than right now. This is an ugly time we are living in. I said it's an ugly time. 
people being shot in our city, in our neighborhood, across the street from our church. Come on. All of these things of crime and violence and people losing their mind all over the place, right? Violence in California last night. All at 10 people killed. Well, this is a time where you and I need the angels of the Lord. I don't know, but when we were singing that song earlier, I speak Jesus on the mountain. I speak Jesus for my family. Every person in here should have been shouting the name of Jesus because you need to be shouting. You need the angels of the Lord to encamp around those that you love and those that fear the Lord now more than ever. So no matter, no matter how weary you are, no matter how close to fainting you felt, no matter how depleted of strength you are, the angels of the Lord have assembled themselves around you and around this place today to strengthen you, to minister to you. This is your day for you to acknowledge and recognize the angels in your wilderness. Hallelujah. Angels in your wilderness. Hallelujah. I'm not in this by myself. I'm not in this by myself. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. If you've been going through a wilderness experience, close just like this. If you've been going through a wilderness time, you're hitting the highs and the lows, and you've been depleted of strength a time or two, even if you're strong right now, come and stand together. We're going we're gonna to assemble together and pray and allow the angels of the Lord to minister to us all together right now in this place. If you've been going through a wilderness, I don't care if it's your marriage or relationships or finances or family. I don't care if you have people like sandpaper, that it is your wilderness. Come, 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 come quickly. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Hallelujah. We're, we're going to allow the angels of the Lord to minister to us. Angels of the Lord to minister to us in this place to be to re, filled with strength, to be replenished. I've been weary. I've been worn. I haven't even felt your presence, oh God. I've been depleted and worn of all my strength. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on in close. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now everybody that's back in, the, in your chairs, would you do me a favor and stretch your hand forward? Stretch your hand forward, everybody who's standing in the front of this place. And start praying for them. Start praying for them. They've been in a the wilderness. They, their back's against the rocks, and they just need the angels of the Lord right now. They just need the angels of the Lord. The angels of the Lord. Just before we pray, I want every one of you to remember you're not, you're not being persecuted. You're not being just attacked. You are in a preparation mode right now. The only reason you're in the wilderness right now is God is trying to prepare you. Will you let him prepare you? There's no escape hatch from the wilderness. There's no escape hatch from the wilderness, but instead there's angels in the wilderness to minister to you right now in this place. Right now in this place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Allow the angels of the Lord to minister to you, to restore strength. He is your ever-present help in your moment of trouble. He is with you right now. He is with you right now. So as you stand, kneel, or sit in the front of this church and you need the angels of the Lord, if you need to raise your hands, whatever it is you need to do, but allow the angels of the Lord to begin to minister to you as we pray. Father, I pray right now 
in the name of Jesus. God, for every person assembled in the front of this place today. God, every person online that says, yeah, I, I'm in the fight of my life. I've been going through a wilderness experience. Father, I pray for them today. I pray that, Lord, you would reveal today the angels in the wilderness to them. I pray that, God, they would recognize they're not in this by themselves. They're not in this fight alone. That, God, they're not, that they're, they don't have to endure it alone. That God, let them recognize they are in preparation mode. God, you are trying to prepare them for something that, that is more. That, God, you brought them this far. God, you brought them through things they never should have lived through, things they never should have made it through. God, the only reason we made it through bankruptcy. God, the only reason I, I made it through that, the only reason I didn't die from that disease. And God, that I'm here right now is that I'm in this moment for angels to minister to me in my wilderness. God, there is a purpose. There is a greater purpose. God, I, I'm not meant to die yet. God, I'm not meant to, to, to end it all here now. God, it's not meant to end this way. So Father, I welcome the angels of the Lord to encamp around your people in this place. Uh, Lord, your word says the, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear you. God, every person in the front of this place must fear you to come forward. And so, Father, I, I decree and I declare and I dispatch the angels of the Lord from the heavens, Lord, over these people's lives, over this place, over the four corners of their home, over the four corners of their workplace, God, over the four corners of their family's home, over their children's home, in the name of Jesus. I, I say it in the name of Jesus for those who fear the Lord. Father, I don't just pray for them, but God, I pray for household salvation according to your word over their family and their family's family, over their children and their children's children in the name of Jesus. Lord, we dispatch angels over their homes today in the name of Jesus. God, every person, every person connected to them right now in the name of Jesus. Every person connected on their friend list right now. God, I just pray that, Lord, you would go before them, that, Lord, angels will be dispatched. But God, begin right here with these in the front of this place. I pray right now that strength would come to their spirit. Strength would come to their soul. Lord, that you would revive and strengthen their mind and their thought patterns. That God, you would, re you would revive and strengthen their mind and their will and their emotions. Uh, God, the deepest part of their soul. God, I'll let their spirit man be refreshed in the name of Jesus. Uh, I, we rebuke the devil and every force that has come against them and every attack in the name of Jesus. Uh, and Father, I pray that angels would be in the midst of their wilderness and just begin to minister and strengthen them. Father, I pray tonight that even as they sleep and they lay their head down, God, I pray that even if they lay their head down in the midst of the wilderness, that God, angels would minister to them through the night. Uh, that Lord, when they wake up this in the morning, God, they'll be refreshed, renewed, restored, and revived. Uh, God, I pray that, Lord, when they wake up in their morning and their, and their, and their feet get ready to touch the floor, uh, that God, their steps would be ordered of the Lord. Uh, their steps would be ordered of the, of the Lord. That God, you would order every step in the midst of the wilderness as they exit their wilderness in the name of Jesus. So Father, do what only you can do, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. And God will give you the glory, the honor, and the praise right now. I thank you for breakthrough. I thank you today for ministering angels that are doing what only they can do right now. Uplift and encourage the discouraged and help God the hopeless. And we bless you and we give you glory and we give you honor right now. I have angels in my wilderness. I have angels in my wilderness. Now, Father, Father, I pray right now. I pray right now, Father, that your name is power, your name is healing, your name is light, your name is light in the darkness. Let the angels minister and drive out all the darkness, push past and push back the darkness that has been overcrowding in people's minds and thoughts. Suicidal spirits, 
spirits of depression, oppressive spirits in the name of Jesus. I pray right now, every spirit sent on assignment to lie to you, to lie to you and to deceive you. Every spirit that has tried to crowd your thoughts to try to make you think differently than you were ever taught to think, we rebuke and we bind in the name of Jesus. Every spirit trying to get you to live a way you were never ordained or called to live. My God, we rebuke that devil right now. And I speak life to you. I speak life over every area the enemy is trying to crowd out in darkness. I speak life over every person in the front of this place and I speak life over our city. I speak life over Fayette County. I speak life over our families. I speak life to this nation in the name of Jesus. Let ministering angels come and encamp around those who fear the Lord right now in the name of Jesus. Father, in a few moments, we're gonna exit this building. As we leave, God, we're gonna give tithes and offerings and people are gonna give online. I'll not, don't let me neglect the moment to be able to pray blessing and increase over people's giving. Father, I pray increase in people's finances. Lord, I pray for raises right now that they weren't expecting. Someone, somebody, you, you've been praying for more and you don't know where more is going to come from. But Father, I pray that you will minister in the wilderness give angels in the wilderness in financial lack that god i pray that you will bring increase where there's been desolation god where there's been lack god bring increase in the name of jesus lord we give to you out of reverence out of a reverent fear of the lord we give so father as we give i pray that you'll bless it you'll multiply it and you'll bring increase not just to them that are giving but God bring increase into this place although I pray that we enter a season of increase in the name of Jesus I pray right now bless us in this place bless us as we give bless us as we go through the week God, let this be a week of favor let this be God be a week of of seeing your glory and experiencing your angels all around that even if you don't see them you'll know they're there you can experience them ministering to you Father, I pray now and I give you glory and honor and praise for all of this and all the things that you do and you will do in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, God bless you. We love you. Remember this week, even when it's tough, you have angels in your wilderness. Have a beautiful week in Jesus. You can sow your tithes and offerings on the way out. 